0: Well, good morning, Chillicothe Bible Church. Good to be with you again this morning. See some old friends and some make some new ones here this morning. Uh, if you are with us today for the first time, we want to offer you a special welcome. Um, we are glad you're here. We're excited to get to know you and to, to suck you into our family here uh, because... Uh, we just enjoy being together, and uh, and being with you, and so uh, it is a lot of fun to be part of Philaconthy Bible Church, and um, and we, we think you will find a family here that will love you and encourage you and pray for you and with you, and uh, so we're glad you're, you're glad you're here to, and that you found us. So, let's pray. God or Heavenly Father, as we open Your Word this morning, I pray that we would hear its words as what they really are, as Your words to all of us. And Father, may we not hear uh, a standard that we cannot obtain. May we hear Your loving words to Your people that, empowered by Your Holy Spirit, You call us to live by. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the late philosopher Hannah Arendt once said, every 20 years, civilization is invaded by barbarians. We call them our children. <laughs> and when she made that statement, I, I don't actually think she intended to be to be funny. Uh, in fact, what she was saying was making the very serious point that If you want to ensure that the values and ideals that you hold dear endure past your own lifetime, then that requires that you uh, pass them on to your children in such a way that they embrace them and live them out. And that if you fail to do so, then eventually those ideals and those values will die out. And if you want an example of this, you could look at Israel's history. Uh, In chapter 2 of the book of Judges, verse 10, it says this, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And then arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. Or if you want a contemporary example, you could look at America in the present day and learn that 35% of today's millennial generation, the folks who were born and came of age in the year 2000 and afterward, 35% of them and 25, uh, 23% rather of the entire population of this country identify as none of the above when it comes to to spiritual things in fact any kind of religious belief more than one out of three of the generation of people younger than me and twenty five percent nearly of the entire population one out of four of our entire nation reject belief in the God of the Bible we need to know, by the way, that those numbers are not static. They are increasing every year that goes by. In fact, they're increasing rapidly. Uh, over the last 10 years, they have uh, increased to that point. Uh, the trend line, if it continues, will mean that within about another 10 years, that number will not be 35%, it will be 50%. The point I'm trying to make is simply this. That if we do not disciple our children to know and to love and to obey God, that the world around them will very quickly disciple them not to. And I personally don't know how to do that. I don't. Uh, I have resisted, in fact, uh, even teaching. Uh, any classes on child-rearing, even though I have four children. Because here's the reality. Okay? Before I had children, I, I agree with the guy who said this, before I had children, I had, I had no kids and lots of theories on how to raise them. Now I have lots of kids and no theories. <laughs> right? And so please hear me when I say this, that I am by no means an expert on how to help your kids to know and to love and to obey the Lord. Uh, In fact, you can because people do. You can do everything possible to help your kids to, to do that and still have them walk away. It can happen. It does happen. It has happened to people in this congregation. But nevertheless, I think the Lord does give us instructions on what to do with our kids so that we can at least point them in the right direction now whether they walk in it or not is a, is between them and the lord but at least we will point them in the right way and so I want to turn us this morning to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 9 And hear what God's Word has to say on these things. The Word says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now I know that uh, we're not part of ethnic Israel. Rather, we are part of spiritual Israel composed of people who have by faith become children of Abraham and inheritors with the nation of Israel of God's promises. We, we enjoy their Bible, we enjoy their new covenant, we worship their Savior, amen? And so these principles apply to us. And there are at least three really solid principles from these verses that we use as we try to disciple our children, or in some cases, our grandchildren, or in some cases, our great-grandchildren. Because that responsibility is ongoing. It doesn't end simply with uh, kids on our own house. So, the first thing we, we see there, beginning in verse 4 and verse 5, is that we have to teach them to know and to love God. Verse 4 is probably one of the most important sentences ever written in the history of the world. Uh, The Jews call it the Shema. uh, From the first word uh, there in verse 4, which is the word hear. And the idea behind that word hear is not simply simply, uh, allow these sounds to pass through your auditory canal and vibrate on your eardrum. <laughs> okay? The word here is essentially like what you tell your kid when they are, you know, like maybe you know scrolling on their phone as you're talking to them, right? And you say, "Hey, listen to what I'm saying." That's the idea. You want them to be held by what you are about to tell them. You want them to do more than have the sound go by. You want them to hear and be changed by it. To really listen, to obey the instruction that follows. And what follows there in verse 4 is one of the most important truths that we can teach our kids. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. Now that might not seem very profound if you just kind of read through it, but you want to look closely at the text. if you. You have a, a Bible there, what you see is that the word Lord is capitalized. It's all capital letters uh, both times. It's to indicate, it's to indicate that the word Lord there is actually not translating what's there. What's there is the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the covenant name by which God revealed Himself to Israel. He's saying, he's saying, not just any old God is in view here. Not just any God you invent for yourself, but Yahweh, the covenant-making God. The God who spoke to Abraham. The God who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. The God who led Israel through the wilderness and passed through the Red Sea with them. The God who brought the plagues. The God who has established covenant with Abraham, and then with Isaac, and then with Jacob, and then with Israel and all of the people. That God is who we have in mind not a god that we invent for ourselves. And and then in addition to that that he is one, meaning there's only he is God. That only he is God. That there aren't any others. You know, probably the 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 most current idea you know, in our pluralistic society is that first of all, that you can believe in God kind of in general. Right? That, that, well, yeah, I believe in God. Well, what kind of God do you believe in? Right? Well, you know, I believe that God is kind of out there in nature. And, you know, you kind of encounter Him in the waves and in the trees and in the rocks, you know, and it all starts to sound like a Star Wars movie pretty soon. Right? Luke, use the force. Right? And, you know, all that kind of thing, right? Right? and you're kind of tapping into these energies that are out there in nature and all that, right? You know what the Scripture says about that? Not to put too too fine a point on it, but the Scripture says that's baloney. That there is one God, and it's Yahweh, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of Israel who became incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who died on the cross and was raised from the dead. That is who God is. The God who sent His Spirit. And when we're t- teaching our kids about God, we need to make sure that they know who He is. And to know and to love Him. That's verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God. To, to know and love this God. The God who loves them and who sent His Son to save them. You shall love, again the text says, you shall love Yahweh. Yahweh your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. According to Jesus, that is the greatest commandment. Amen? The greatest commandment in the entire Bible is Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And if you skip forward into your New Testament again, how do you do that? Well, Jesus tells us John 14, 21, "...whoever has My commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves Me. And he who loves Me will be loved by My Father, and I will love him and show Myself to him." So in other words, according to Jesus, love and obedience are interchangeable ideas, or at least intertwined ideas, that that to love God and to obey God are wrapped up in one another. You can't do one without the other. You can't say, yes, I love God, I enjoy God, and we have a great relationship. Do you follow what He says? Well, not really. Well, then you don't love God, according to Jesus. Loving God also includes pursuing a relationship with Him every day. You look at Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 you read these words do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth meditate on it day and night be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful right day and night God's word should be in our hearts and we read in uh in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray continually. And related to that, we're told in 1 John 4.20 If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And the truth is not in him. For, who, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So in other words, loving God also includes loving your neighbor. And that circles us back around to the idea of fellowshipping with our fellow believers and also to witnessing to those who are not believers. Now those of you who are doing 2-7 with me, this ought to all sound very familiar. Right? I've just given you the wheel illustration. (laughs) Right? Right? That you've got to obey God on the outer rim of the root wheel because Christ is at the center of your life and so you have prayer and Bible study and witnessing and fellowship and all of that together constitutes loving God and pursuing a relationship with Him. Amen? That ought to all make sense. If that, if that sounds familiar, it should. Because that's the very basics of the Christian life of loving God and loving your neighbor and being in relationships uh, that exalt Christ in all of those ways and that are obeying Christ in all of those aspects. And so, what we have to do then is to live this out in a way that shows our kids. We don't just tell, we also show. Amen? Discipleship is show and tell, just like in kindergarten, right? hold up your your pet raccoon or whatever right and you have show and tell about that thing right when we tell people about when we when we talk about discipleship it is show and tell you not only tell your kids how to love and obey god you show them by what you do i was very blessed to grow up in a house that i i saw every week from the time I was a 7th grader all the way till I graduated from high school in fact all the way till my younger brother who's 7 years younger than me graduated from high school my parents opened up their opened up their house to 50 or 60 of my closest friends <laughs> right and of my sister and brother's friends and 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 they invaded mom and dad's house and mom would cook and counsel and dad would preach and and I would learn about what it meant to follow Jesus and to make disciples from just watching them do it in their home. And, and we as believers teach our kids how to, what it means to know and to love Jesus and to obey Him and to follow Him and to make disciples by showing and telling them what to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Alright, now look at verse 6. Uh, this is something that has to be done from the heart. We've got to not just teach with our mouth and not just show with our life, but from the heart. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You, know, you cannot give people dead religion. cannot give people dead religion, and you should not give your kids dead religion. What I mean by that is this, that it is possible, men and women, brothers and sisters, to do all of the right things kind of by rote or by memory, or by, well, my my mama or my daddy or my grandma or grandpappy, or whoever, told me to do this, and I've been doing that, and so therefore this is what we're supposed to do. You know, tradition is the living faith of departed brothers and sisters. Traditionalism is the dead faith of living people. (laughs) Okay. We don't want to impart traditionalism to our kids what we want to do is to show them the importance of who Jesus is out of our own heart. That we don't just do things because it's the right thing to do. We do things because we love Jesus ourselves and we want to impart that love for Jesus to them. One of the worst things that you can do is to do what is right because you have to. Because you will convince your kids that that's all there is to this. And it's not, that's not all there is. I had a conversation with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. He was raised in church. His grandpa was pretty stern with him. You know, dad wasn't really in the picture, so grandpa stepped in to just kind of lay the law down. Right? And as we began to talk, you know, I began to talk to him, and he's, he's, he, was, he was talking about how all the rules of Christianity really kind of turned him off to the whole thing. And I said, well look, this particular fellow is married, been married for a long time, has a good marriage, great kids. And I said, I said you know, when you get married, there are some rules, right? And I said, one of those rules is you're not supposed to date anymore, right? You're not supposed to have a, a, like a wife and then a girlfriend, you know? You're not supposed to commit adultery, right? And he's like, well, yeah, obviously. And I said, but the point of marriage is not obeying those rules, right? It's that obeying those rules makes the relationship that you want flourish, And makes that relationship, in fact, possible. Because if you violate one of those rules, guess what happens? You burn the whole thing down. Amen? You do. Don't test this out. Don't try this theory. Don't go, well, I wonder if I can commit adultery just like once and not destroy my marriage. Uh, Trust me, you do, at the very minimum, very deep and lasting damage. But the point is not the keeping of the rule. The point is, I love the person such that I keep the rule. Amen? The rule is there to protect the two of you and to cause the relationship to flourish. And in the same way, the the things that we do Uh, and the things that we avoid as believers in Christ are not there because we just like checking boxes and keeping rules. They are there because we desire a relationship with God, and out of that then, we obey Him and what He calls us to do. But it's really easy to get it confused and to think that the the point of following Jesus is Is adherence to all these things. That's not the point. The point is being in relationship with Jesus and then avoiding these things and doing these things as part of pursuing their relationship. Has to come out of your heart, needs to be at the center of who we are as people. So that our kids see that this is not some dead checklist. I'm adhering to because I want them to be a good person and I want to be a good person. It's because I have a genuine relationship with God that I want them to enter into and enjoy just like I do. It comes out of the heart. And if you yourself don't have a relationship with God and don't know Him in a personal way, don't fake it. Don't fake it anymore. The real thing is available. And if you don't know how to find it, talk to me. Talk to one of our elders. Talk to Cindy Rosetto. Talk to Pat Rubenfeld. Talk to Clarice Cole. Talk to any number of the people around here who will be able to tell you, oh, well, all that thing you've been trying to do, uh, you're just your own effort. Yeah, that's not what this is about. This is about following Jesus and being in relationship with a person who knows you and loves you. Let me explain to you how to get that. And step one is real simple. It's to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead for you personally. Not just historically, but for you personally. That God had you in mind in sending Christ to the cross. And when you do that, when you embrace that for yourself personally, you enter into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And there's, that's, the, that's the, the very most important beginning thing that you have to do. And then after that, there's this whole wide uh, field of relationship that opens up to you. But you comes through that door of faith in Jesus Christ. Alright, finally, last thing here, verses 7-9, through nine, you have to teach them in every part of daily life. We have to do this. The discipleship is not a program or an activity. It's not a program, it's not an activity. It's a part of every aspect of daily life. Deuteronomy here, if you read these verses, when you lie down and when you rise up and when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, uh, you have Scripture on your hands and on your heads and on the doors of your house and on the gates, uh, around your fence. Every part of daily life is something that should be informed by your walk with God and should come into the conversation in everything you do. I actually think that we should apply that bit about when we lie down and when we rise up and wherever we go, literally. That perhaps we ought to have, maybe, devotions in the morning and prayer in in the evening um, before we go to bed. And they're a wonderful way of making Jesus part of every single day. the beginning, at the end, in the middle, we talk about the Lord. Now, when our kids were little, let me just tell you how, how how we did some of this in our house. Our kids aren't little anymore. In fact, one of them is taller than me and shaves regularly. <laughs> okay. But when our kids were little, we used to take drives with them. Now, what we would tell them is we're gonna go drive around, we're gonna look for deer, right? Uh, And we did that. We would look for deer, and I would point them out and that kind of thing. But mostly, it was a way for Karen and I to get out of the house and to talk to each other without having to hire a babysitter, right? And on the drives, we would talk, but, but uh, but the kids would also talk with us. And I remember that some of the very best conversations that we had with our kids when they were little was in the car as we were on one of these drives. You know, sometimes it was, and you know, we would talk about veggie tales or we'd talk about, you know, whatever. Um, but sometimes the conversation would turn spiritual. And some of our kids came to faith in Jesus on those drives as we're sitting there talking about spiritual things. And we still have regular family devotions and regular prayers. And even even though they're old enough to stay home by themselves now, in fact, some of them are old enough to drive themselves wherever they want to go. Uh, very often, uh, if if Karen and I are going somewhere, we take at least one of them with us because it gives us an opportunity to hang out. I'm going to Menards. Who's coming? Right. I'm going to Walmart. What are you getting at Walmart? I don't know, but they'll probably be ice cream. Come on. You know, I'm not above bribing them. All right? I'm not. Okay? But, you know, the idea is that as you're together, you talk about life and you talk about God and you talk about relationships and talk about God and you talk about school and you talk about God and you talk about politics and you talk about God and you talk about hobbies and you talk about God. You get the idea? That you bring all that you bring the Lord along on everything that you're doing. There are literally scriptures on the walls in my house. Starting this summer, we're gonna take our four teenagers and we're gonna go through the first book of two seven together. Hopefully we'll get all the way through the third book by the end of the school year because this fall I have a senior who wants to go work at a Christian camp in Wisconsin as soon as she graduates, and then be home for like a week, and then go off to wherever she's going, right? And the time is getting short with her. You might do it differently. Maybe your kids are little, and so you're spending time each night reading to them from the Scriptures, or maybe you're reading the Jesus Storybook Bible, or you're reading... a a child-appropriate devotion or whatever it is you're doing. But the point is is that what Deuteronomy is telling us is that there's no part of life to which the Scriptures do not speak. And so there's no, point, no part of life that we ought not bring the Scriptures in. Because God cares about every aspect of our lives. Amen? He cares about who we date and how we date. He cares about Um, how we live in our families. He cares about what we do with our money. He cares about our hobbies. He cares about uh, our bodies. He cares about every part of who we are. And so there ought to be no part from which God is divorced, where He is cut off. There shouldn't be, you know, our relationship with God shouldn't be something... Like a, like a coat we put on when we go to church on Sunday morning that we take off and leave in the closet the rest of the week. It ought to be integrated into who we are. And everything we do ought to revolve around Him in some way. It ought, he ought to be integrated into what we're doing. Here's the thing. We cannot afford in our day and age, if we ever could, we for sure can't now, to allow the culture to have more impact on our kids than what we do. We can't afford that. And so we need to, we need to take every opportunity. Here's the reality. Seventy percent of kids that grow up in the church and and are part of youth ministry. Walk away from the faith by the time they turn 24. 70 percent. I don't know about you, but it would grieve me deeply if my kids were in that part of the statistics. And to the extent that I have anything to do with it, I'm going to go down swinging. Amen. And. And I'm not a legalist, and I don't, I don't want to make anybody feel bad. But we need to take every opportunity, every opportunity that God gives us to bring Christ into our lives so that our kids, at least, at the very minimum, at the very minimum, they are not going to grow up in my house and say, well, Mom and Dad didn't ever show me what an authentic Christian life looked like. You know, I, I didn't know that you could have personal devotions with God. And no one ever showed me how. I didn't know that, the, that God's Word spoke to this part of life and this part of life and, and gave me God's wisdom on it. I didn't know that. I paid tuition on it by making mistakes instead. At the very minimum, my kids may all grow up and walk away from Jesus and blow me a raspberry and grieve my soul. But at the very minimum, it won't be because I didn't teach them and show them what a real relationship with Jesus looks like. Amen? Amen? And we've got to show our kids how to do the same thing. So that they might come to a place of genuine faith in Jesus Christ on their own and genuine love for Him and genuine obedience to Him and the ability to make disciples of their own kids when that day comes. If you don't understand what I'm saying here, talk to me afterwards. Because the church here exists... If you've read Ephesians chapter 4, the reason we're here, the reason I'm here, the reason that I get up on this platform and read God's Word and try to explain it every week is to equip the saints to do the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ that we might all grow to maturity in Christ. And I know we're all at different stages and where we are in our relationship with Jesus, and so if this all sounds completely like brand new information to you, and you don't know what I'm talking about, come talk to me. And I'll do the best I can to walk, walk through the Scriptures with you and show you what the Scripture has to say about these things. Amen? We've got lots of other people who are older and smarter and better at this than I am in this church. I can connect you with one of them. And they can help you also. But the idea is is that we're all going to, because we must, because the alternative is tragic, disciple our children to know the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I confess that I feel completely left-handed when it comes to knowing how to be a good parent, when it comes to knowing how to uh, to disciple my kids in a way that will cause them to walk with You. Father, I know that ultimately I can't cause my kids to walk with You because salvation is a work of God requires Your Holy Spirit active in a person's heart and I can't make my children or anybody else's children follow Jesus. But Father, I can follow the instruction in Your Word and so can the rest of us. If we know You, we can follow Your instruction and we can receive power to walk in it through Your Holy Spirit as we yield our hearts to Him. And so Father, I pray that's what we would do I pray, first of all, that You would work in a mighty way in the hearts of every child in this, uh, in this place. That we as parents would fall on our face before You and would say, Father, I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to follow You. I want to obey Your Word. I want my, my child to grow up to know and love and obey Christ. And I want to show them as best I can what that looks like. Father, help me to grow up. That I might help my kids to grow up in a way that is pleasing to You. And Father, um, out of that I pray that, that, uh, that You would be very gracious and kind to us. And that our kids would, if they have wandered away, turn back to the faith they were taught. That they would find the life that is really life. And Father, those of us who are still raising kids in our house, I pray that You would work in their hearts to see that the faith is real. It's not just something mom and dad talk about. It's real. Jesus is alive. And He really is able to forgive sin and to impart new life and to send the Spirit to enable us to walk in it. Father, I pray that, that you would help our kids to see that and to experience that and to know you and the power of Jesus' resurrection to overcome sin and to, and to give new life. Father, we are helpless without you. And so we th- we throw ourselves on your mercy and on your grace and we ask for your your deliverance and your salvation that we might praise you for what you have done because we can accomplish none of it on our own and we pray in Jesus name Amen